0: No guy ever wants to be called meek. Librarians are meek. Skinny guys on the beach getting sand kicked in their face are meek. We think meek is the opposite of strong. I'm not sure it is. What if meek is not being retaliatory, not seeking revenge at any cost? What if meek is being gentle towards others and respecting everyone's dignity? What if being meek means admitting when you're wrong and being willing to be teachable? It seems like you'd need to have a pretty strong character to do that. Walking the line between living at peace while aggressively standing up for what is true and right? Accepting our brokenness while pursuing wholeness? Judging sin while not condemning sinners? Trying to be like Christ is hard. Letting go of all the stuff we've accumulated, forgiving people, seeking justice, giving sacrificially. Following Jesus is not for the weak. What it is for the meek.
1: Well, greetings to all of you who are meeting here at Central Campus and also those of you who are meeting together at one of our regionals uh, around the city of Calgary, including those of you in Airdrie, those of you meeting down in Bridgeland and also at our uh, Northwest Regional that meets at the Crowfoot Theatres. In addition to those, we wanna greet those of you who are part of our house church, our home church network, and those of you that we're discovering, hundreds of you, um, even thousands of you that are viewing in, not only online uh, from uh, here in Calgary, but also from different parts of the world. We're in a study on the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, in which Jesus is describing, and I want you to note, he is describing, he's not prescribing, the mindset, the attitudes, and the behaviors of those who are part of his kingdom. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, the beliefs and the values of his kingdom are polar opposite to the values and beliefs of man's earthly kingdom or the culture of today. And that is readily apparent here in the first part of his sermon, in what is often referred to as the Beatitudes. And as we read them, we are shocked, because each one seems completely counterintuitive to our modern mindset. And the third beatitude that we are looking at today is no exception. I look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus says that unspeakable joy and satisfaction comes to those who are meek. And you can just hear the heckler shouting, oh, Really? Really? Meek is great if you're a sissy and if you like people stomping all over you. The mindset today is if you're going to make it to the top, then you have to be your own pitchman. You need to sell yourself. You need to defend your rights. Attention does not come quickly to the humble or to the patient. Al Newhart, founder of U.S. Today, once wrote, The meek... inherit the earth, but they'll never inherit the executive suite. Nietzsche once said that the third beatitude is the most fatal and seductive lie that ever existed. You see, for most of us, meek means weak. The natural man just doesn't believe what Jesus said here about meekness. Our society believes that meek people are losers. The image that many have is the stereotypical person who is kind of wimpy and spineless and wears a lot of polyester. Gerald Mann says multinational corporations, slick politicians, movie stars, porno publishers, they seem to be the ones who inherit the earth. The modern beatitude seems to be happy are the aggressive, for they shall gain the controlling interest. Now, make no mistake, this mindset was prevalent in Jesus' day as well. In the Roman Empire, virtuous meant manliness. You were popular, you were looked up to if if you had the courage to fight, to defend yourself, and to fight back when needed. The same was true for the Jews who heard Jesus give this Sermon on the Mount. They had the idea that the Messiah, their Messiah, was going to be a mighty warrior who would lead them to military victory over Rome. They wanted powerful, they didn't want a meek Messiah. They wanted Mel Gibson's brave heart. They wanted Jesus to paint his face blue and cry, Freedom! And that's why they ultimately rejected Jesus as the Messiah because they were focusing on military revolution, Jesus came to bring a spiritual revolution that begins in the heart and a change of heart. And yet Jesus insists that blessedness, true joy and satisfaction comes to the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what did Jesus mean when he talked about meekness? Well, to be meek does not mean to be timid, or wimpy, or spineless, or indecisive. It is not the attitude of peace at any cost. It is not. It does not mean to be weak, as many people believe. You see, in the original language, the word for meekness is linked to strength and power. The Greek word for meekness, praeus is often used to refer to the training of wild animals, the training of a a lion or a horse. A meek horse is not a weak horse. It's actually a very powerful horse submitted to the control of its master. The same way meekness is not weakness, it is strength, it is power under control. A meek Christ follower is one who has the talent and ability, and power, but who channels his power usefully rather than destructively, who focuses his energies toward God's eternal purposes rather than earthly, temporary purposes. The difference between a meek person and an aggressive person is that a meek Christian desires to control himself for the glory of God, whereas an aggressive person desires to control others for the glory of himself. Now, the Greek word for meek, or praeus, carries with it two shades of meaning. To be praeus, or meek, means to be inwardly humble and to be outwardly gentle. So what does it mean to be inwardly humble? In the scriptures, inward humility is pictured in three ways. The meek person is not preoccupied with himself. The meek person is not preoccupied with his needs. The meek person is committed to truth and justice. Let me unpack those for us a little more. The meek person is not preoccupied with herself. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul says that one's view of self will be linked to one's faith. This is what he writes. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober or accurate judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. When a person's faith is centered on God, his perspective is different than the natural man. The Christian no longer sees himself as the center of the universe, but rather he worships God as Lord and King of the universe. And as a result, his purpose and direction come from God. It's about God. It's not about Him. When I realize that all that I am and all that I have and will have, when I realize all that I have accomplished And will accomplish is the result of God's grace and wisdom and sustaining power in my life. I am humbled. I am no longer so sensitive about myself. And the reason I am not so sensitive about myself is because my identity is based not on what others say about me or think about me, but on who God says I am in him. Christ followers believe to the core of their being that they are loved and accepted unconditionally by God, that they are in Christ and that Christ is in them and therefore they have everything that they need and have nothing left to prove to anybody else. They are secure. Their identity is secure. They are approved in the sight of God. Because you are in Christ, the Christ and Christ is in you. There is absolutely nothing that you can achieve or possess. There's absolutely no status in life that you can achieve that would give you greater worth than who you are in Jesus Christ. I mean, you just think about it, your need for security or for significance or for love and acceptance or worth are all met in Jesus Christ, and they can't be taken away by changing circumstances or even death itself, because unlike the temporary counterfeit gods of our world, Jesus is eternal, he is our rock, our fortress, he never changes, and he will never leave us or forsake us, amen? And friends, it is this trust in God that frees us from being self-centered and self-absorbed. It is this trust in Jesus that frees us from the need to aggressively promote ourselves and to control and to manipulate things for our own advantage. It is this trust in Jesus that frees us from the obsession Of always trying to please others or to win the approval and the applause of others. It is this trust in Jesus that frees us from the need to retaliate, to get our pound of flesh when someone disappoints us or when someone ignores us or someone looks us in the eye and ignores our feelings. When our boss hurts us, when our spouse embarrasses us, when someone Is rude and mean to us. And this is because we have come to realize and we've come to trust that in Christ no one can really harm us. You know, I love the way that John Bunyan puts it. He once said, He that is down need fear no fall. That is profound. When a person submits control of his or her life to Jesus and embraces her identity in him. There is nothing anyone can say or do that she cannot forgive. Because she knows that she is in Christ. Her identity is in, found in Christ. Who has forgiven her of her sins. And therefore, she seeks his approval and his approval alone. She's able to be meek and to let go because her trust is in the Lord and also in the fact that one day Jesus is going to make things right. The ultimate judge will make things right. She can let go. Inward humility or meekness is found in those who are not preoccupied with themselves. <laughs> Furthermore, inward humility is found in those who are not preoccupied with their needs. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 2.5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our ultimate example meekness. He didn't only teach the Sermon on the Mount, he lived the Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, we see very clearly articulated that Jesus is God. He's all powerful, all knowing, everywhere present. And as you've heard me say before, during his time as the God-man on earth, he chose not to exercise his divine privileges Even while he was on the cross, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world, but he didn't because he chose not to exercise his divine privileges. In fact, he chose to humble himself, to become a servant to all and to submit himself to the control of his heavenly father. Jesus lived in daily dependence upon his heavenly father, seeking his father's direction Praying to his father and obeying his father. He focused the time, the energy had, meeting the needs of others. He was not concerned about his own needs. He he wasn't striving and scheming to make sure he was one up on others, that his needs were being met. No, he focused on others and the needs of others because he simply trusted his father to meet his needs. Isn't it true that so much of our time and our emotional energy is spent fretting about things? We're anxious about making ends meet. We're anxious about missing our chance to make it big. Others leaping ahead of us financially because they timed the sale of something at the right time and we missed out on that opportunity and we're anxious about it. We fret over it. We fret about our kids getting into the right school or other kids doing better than our kids. We fret about if if we're ever going to meet that special someone. And when we're in that state, the temptation, of course, is to take matters into our hands, to begin to believe that you know what, we gotta do this because I'm not sure God's gonna come through. So we take matters into our own hands and we become aggressive and we become controlling and we become manipulative and pushy and demanding even to the point of compromising our integrity and our biblical convictions, and in the end we're angry and we're, we're frustrated and we're miserable and we're, we're just on this crazy cycle rushing, running from here and there, anything but meek, joyful, or satisfied. And yet joy and true satisfaction comes to those who have a deep conviction, That their needs, their future, are in the hands of God and that He can be trusted. Brian Wilkerson says a person who trusts God to meet her needs doesn't have to strive or scheme or, or demand that her needs be met. The meek person doesn't need to control things or control others or compete with others to get what he wants or needs or thinks is fair. When you yield to God and his perfect will for your life, you are free to also yield to others. You're free to make different life choices and lifestyle choices than everybody else is making. You're free to go against the grain and not be like everybody else. Not get on the crazy treadmill that everybody else is on. Because you know that your your life is in the hands of the Lord. And his purposes will be accomplished in you and through you. A great example of this, uh, Wilkerson says, is Abraham. When he allowed his nephew Lot to have first choice when they divided up the land. You may recall Abraham and Lot um, needed to part ways because... both of their herds and their flocks were, were getting to the size where to be in one location just wasn't working anymore. And so Abraham suggested it was time for them to part ways. And as the leader of the clan, Abraham had absolute right to choose first. He could choose the best land, the fertile valley. Instead, Abraham let Lot choose first. And Lot chose the fertile valley, leaving Abraham with the hills. And yet, you see, Abraham was able to yield his right to choose first because he trusted God to provide, no matter which land he ended up with. And we know the rest of the story, that God more than provided all that Abraham needed. In essence, this is what Jesus meant in the third beatitude when he said, Blessed, joyful, satisfied are those who let go and stop fretting, who surrender their hopes and their desires to God and trust God to meet their needs. Wilkerson goes on to tell the story of an African student by the name of Sam who came to the United States to study at a Christian college back many years ago before it was commonplace for international students to trek to the West to study. Sam was a bright young man with a promising future, and the school felt really honored to have him. And so when he arrived, they took him on a tour, showed him all the facilities, and showed him all the dormitories. When the tour is over, the president sat him down and said, you've seen all the dorms, he said, which one would you like? And Sam responded, if there is a room that no one wants, give me that room. Tears came to the president's eyes. For of the thousands of students he had welcomed over the years, no one had ever, ever made such a request. Give me the room that no one else wants. Friends, that's meekness. If there is a task that no one wants to do, I'll do that task. If there's a student that no one else wants to eat lunch with, I'll have lunch with that student. If there's someone who has to make the first move to forgive, I'm going to be the first one. Meekness is choosing God's agenda over your agenda. Now, for example, I, I know that some of you use your phones and your iPads to take notes when I'm speaking. But I have my sources, many of whom are sitting around you, who tell me that is not always the case. And so, when I hear that and I think about that, the fact that there are people texting and checking their emails and Googling and whatever else while I'm speaking, there's something inside of me that wants to point to you. (laughs) And have you stand up and share all the notes you've taken of the message to that point. That's what I want to do, that's my agenda. But instead, I choose God's agenda, the path of meekness, by praying a prayer similar to what I heard Doug Fields say. He prays when he's speaking, and others are talking and texting. A prayer that goes something like this, Dear Lord, you know all things. For those who are taking notes of my message, bless them for their faithfulness. For those who are texting or checking their emails right now, I pray that you will bless these slackers with an extra measure of uncontrollable gas. (laughs) It's a prayer that every preacher is tempted to pray at times. But I confess I haven't prayed it yet. Meekness is choosing God's agenda over yours. It's saying, even if I'm right and have the power to put someone in her place, I will take the pathway of love. If there is someone who needs to serve behind the scenes in the small place, in the less glamorous place, If there's a sacrifice someone needs to make, I'll be the one. And not because I'm trying to be a martyr, not because I'm doing it out of guilt, or because I'm afraid that God will reject me if I don't. No, the meek person does it because she is confident that her heavenly Father knows what she needs and that he will meet her needs as she is fully surrendered to him. Inward humility or meekness is found in those who are not preoccupied with themselves, nor is it found in those who are... Meekness is found in those who are not preoccupied also with their needs. Furthermore, inward humility or meekness is found in those who are committed to truth and justice. Jesus' meekness was seen in his ability to control himself when things were done against himself. Like when people falsely accused him, spit on him, beat him, betrayed him, denied him. He genuinely forgave them because he was surrendered to the will of his Father. But when it comes to matters of truth and justice, when it affected God's holiness and kingdom and the welfare of other people, Jesus boldly stood up for what was right despite opposition. He rebuked the Pharisees for their self-righteous hypocrisy and their hardness of heart. He was upset with his disciples when they tried to prevent little children from coming to him. He drove the money changers from the temple This is the other side of meekness that few, if any of us, like. A meek person is willing to be unpopular in order that justice and truth be upheld. You know, this is the part of my ministry which is so difficult. Because week in and week out, you know, I stand up here and attempt to preach and teach the truth of God's word with as much love as I can. But I know at times I'm really messing with your values and with your lifestyle. And I'm sure I'm I'm upsetting some of you, if not all of you. And if you're like me, you know, I love to hear the truth of God's word, nothing but the truth. I, I am committed to defending the truth. But I don't always like the application of the truth. The radical changes that I'm called to make to actually live out the truth of what the scriptures are calling me to. And so when I look at how I often react when I'm reading a book that just nails me between the eyes or I'm hearing the hard truth from some communicator of what it means to live out Christ's radical call to be his disciple, it makes me realize that when I'm up here communicating some of that to you, most of you are probably reacting the same way that I am. And this is the part of meekness that I'd rather avoid. But you see, this concern I have clearly indicates that I have a lot of growing to do in the area of meekness. Because a truly meek person is willing to be unpopular in order that the truth is upheld, not just as a system of belief, but it's upheld practically in our lives. Whenever a meek person becomes aware of an injustice, he will do his part in making it right, even if it means going against the grain or losing favor with others. He will do so respectfully and in love, but he will have the courage to stand for what is right and good. If he hears an untruth being communicated about someone else, he speaks up and sets the record straight. If he hears a person assassinate the character of another person, he'll pull him aside and he will set him straight and in a loving way, reprimand him. The meek person is open and transparent who looks for the best in others and genuinely desires the best for others. He's not sensitive about himself. He's willing to disagree with you and still be your friend. In all that he does, everything is motivated by love. The love of Jesus. And so to be meek means to be inwardly humble. It also means to be outwardly gentle. This is part of meekness that focuses on how we actually treat other people. And involves two things. First, the gentle person or meek person makes others feel at ease or restful in his presence. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Christ's nature was such that people were often restful in his presence. And in the same way people are at ease, they are restful around Christians who are truly gentle or meek. I've concluded, for example, that I must be really gentle and meek because so many of you rest so well when you come and hear my sermons. I know, I know, you're just praying, right? I understand, but, you know, but now in practical terms, this means that even though we are to stand up for the truth and communicate the truth, we should not do so forcefully and in an insensitive way when we express that truth. To the point where others are intimidated by us, or afraid, or repelled to want to continue to talk with us about the truth. The gentle, meek person may not agree with your viewpoints, but he will always communicate in a loving and a sensitive manner, because he cares about you as a person. Furthermore, the gentle Christian will not only make others feel at ease or restful, In his presence but will also demonstrate respect for the personal dignity of the other person the gentle Christian does not feel that he has the liberty to say whatever he thinks and let the chips fall as they may even when a person is right the gentle person's careful not to destroy the dignity of another person Many, many years ago, early in my role as a pastor, I can still recall a couple coming to me to want to talk about problems in their marriage. And I can still recall one of the partners just unleashing a a flurry of words that I was to discover later were mostly true. But were communicated in such a cruel and a cutting way her partner was left with little dignity or hope. I learned from that. And now whenever someone wants to unleash a fury of anger towards someone else, or even if it's true, I stop them in advance and say, hey, here's some rules that we're going to abide by as we communicate. And we're going to communicate the truth in love. Because sometimes we can do irreparable damage in our relationships just by the words we speak. If you find that you delight in the failures or the downfall of someone else, you know, where you, it just makes you feel a little better about yourself and you're, oh, you know, know, serves them right kind of idea. Or if you find that you take great delight when there is division or conflict between people in your small group or in the church and you find yourself fueling it, enjoying it. You may not only lack gentleness and meekness, you may lack God's love, period. The mature Christian is saddened. Mature Christian, as we talked about last week, is grieved, mourns, when someone else falls. Or even when God's word speaks to him directly about sin in his own life. The gentle Christian will not only pray for those who have fallen. But if he's in close relationship with the person in question. Will seek them out. And endeavor to restore them in a spirit of tenderness and love. Jesus said, Blessed, truly joyful are the meek, are the inwardly humble, the outwardly gentle, for they will inherit the earth. So, what did Jesus mean when he said they will inherit the earth? The meek person isn't out to conquer the earth. Many people have tried. The meek person isn't out even to own the earth or much of the earth. In fact, he may own very little of the earth, but since he enjoys the earth and enjoys life on earth, he really possesses the earth. He inherits it. The meek person isn't bothered by the fact that some things belong to someone else. So long as he can enjoy them, he owns it. He possesses it. He inherits it. 2 Corinthians 6.10, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as having nothing and yet possessing everything. You see, we possess that which we appreciate and love. The meek person inherits or enjoys the earth because he's at peace with God, he's seeking first the kingdom of God, and he's content with his life in God. An additional way the meek inherit the earth is through the enjoyment of authentic friendships haven't you noticed that it is the genuinely meek person who has many authentic friends people are drawn to the meek person the way metal is to a magnet on the other hand the proud the arrogant the haughty person has few friends if any We know the proud and unteachable who always have to tell you who they know, how much they know, how much they have, how much they've accomplished. We know these people are often friendless and joyless. And they do not inherit the earth. It's true. It is the genuinely meek who inherit or truly enjoy the earth. You know, sometimes truth is better seen than taught. So I just want to close by having you watch a video of Jan's story, whose life is a picture of meekness. Watch this.
2: I love writing. I am at peace when I write. I guess you could say this is one of the ways I connect with God. Right now, I'm writing about the stallion. I once heard a stallion being likened to that of a meek person. It's a picture of a creature who is graceful and powerful, beautiful in its strength, but allowing itself to be controlled by its rider. It's an incredible picture, actually. Great strength under control. Are we to be like the stallion, giving control of our lives over to the Lord? It seems like an obvious answer. However, there was a time when I did not want to give God this control. 10 years ago, I thought I had control over my life. I was married and I had four great, wonderful kids. It sounded like the perfect life, right? But this was all about to change. My marriage was in turmoil and we were headed towards divorce. I now had to get used to an uncertain future. I realized I was now facing a less than perfect life of a single mother. I thought to myself, how can I provide for my family? Will I lose everything? You see, I used to have a lot of pride. I wanted to be in control, to make plans and to do whatever it took to make those plans come to pass. I knew God, but I wanted things my way. But the divorce, it changed everything. I knew I had to put my desire to be in control aside and surrender to the Lord. So I prayed. To be honest, it was more like pleaded, asking God to provide for us. God is faithful. I asked him what I was going to do. He sent me a verse of scripture. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord God Almighty is his name. I felt at peace. The God of the universe was reassuring me. He told me that I did not have to worry. He would be my husband and provider. Now, I'm not saying everything was easy going from that point on. Those were tough times. But I was comforted, knowing that God was always nearby. In those days, and still today, he would often wake me up in the middle of the night and drop a scripture reference into my mind. Back then, with four young children, I was so sleep deprived. So I'd lie in bed and think, I'll look that verse up tomorrow. But soon I couldn't stand the suspense. God, I'd say, I'll get up and look that verse up but please make it so I'm not tired tomorrow. You know how grumpy I get. And guess what? I always got an amazing word of wisdom and I wasn't ever tired the next day. Over the years, I have learned to not ask God, what have you done for me lately? We have a history, he and I. I trust him completely and he blesses me with all that I need. A month ago, I was short of money, and I wondered if I should change my tithe to reflect this shortage. God, I thought, I'm just going to lower this amount because I'm not sure if the rest of my money is coming in at the end of the month. Yes, you know, God said. I knew I had to give my usual amount. I realized this wasn't about my predicament. Instead, it was about his faithfulness. He was bigger than any situation I would come across. So even though I was short of money, I gave my usual amount. A few nights later, I received a letter in my mailbox. Dear Jan, a kind person once gave me a break. I promised I would pay it forward someday. Please accept this and know that God loves you. Have a blessed day. Behind the letter in the envelope was a $50 bill in excitement, I grabbed it to show my son how God was providing for us. To my surprise, there was another $50 behind it, and behind that was another 50 and another, and another, and on it went. There was a total of, well, there was a lot of money in that envelope. We couldn't believe it. God was once again our provider. One of the greatest blessings I have received is how he has allowed me to share my faith. When I'm going through these difficult, uncertain times, I'm asked, how are you coping so well? Why are you so peaceful and confident? I get to tell them why. Because God is in control of my life. And deep down, even though I'm scared and I know things look bleak, God is always with me and he has never, ever let me down. When you are meek, you are strong, but gentle. Life is peaceful, softer. Meekness is laying down your power and realizing that you have no wisdom apart from what God tells you. It's finding the strength to forgive. Make no mistake, life is not always easy. I've had to take a stand. I've had to stand up for myself, for others, for what's right. Now, I never feel like I have to control people. By the same token, I don't feel controlled by people anymore either. I'm only controlled by the Lord. You see, one of the most rewarding things you can do is to be like that stallion that allows itself to be controlled by its rider. Submit control to God. By giving everything to God and to God alone, you can experience the wonderful strength of being meek.
1: thank you, Jan, for sharing your story with us and illustrating so well the meaning of meekness. Now, folks, it is important that I point out in closing that the meekness that Jan and I have been describing doesn't come to us naturally. All of us, by nature, are inclined to fret and to worry. By nature, we're inclined to push our agenda rather than God's agenda. By nature, we're inclined to cling to our stuff rather than to release it. Meekness isn't something that you can fake. Oh, you might be able to fake meekness for a time. But as soon as you're under pressure, as soon as, the, as you're, you're, you're filled with tenseness and, and anxiousness, the ugliness inside that you've been trying to cover up will be exposed again. Genuine meekness requires more than human strength. It requires supernatural strength that God produces in you through the power of the Holy Spirit along with the other character qualities of Jesus like love and peace and patience and kindness. Lord wants to develop meekness in you, but it will require that you humble yourself and you surrender your life totally to Jesus Christ. Wilbur Reese describes the heart attitude of many people today and why they're really missing God's best for them. This is what he writes I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please not enough to explode my soul or to disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk and a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to love the unlovely or to serve him faithfully. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 of God, please. Reese is saying that most people, they don't want to dump God completely. They just want to keep Him at a safe, comfortable distance. $3 of Him is sufficient just enough to keep our guilt below the threshold of pain, just enough to escape hell itself. But certainly not enough to turn our life right side up. Certainly not enough to experience the life of adventure and joy that He so much desires for each one of us. Friends, God wants to develop within you a beautiful, meek spirit. He wants to invigorate your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it requires that we believe Him. That we trust Him. That we surrender our lives totally to Him. There is no other way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm just going to give a few moments right now as I have every week throughout this series for you to respond to what God is saying to you if God's tugging at your heart I am once again going to give you opportunity for you to to make your peace with God invite you to come make your way up here to the altar and spend time with the Lord and give him total control of your life this is between you and God Coming up here isn't what makes you right with God, but it does reflect the humility and the sincerity of your heart. And that is necessary, friends, if we're going to enter the kingdom of God and if we're going to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been resisting this now for weeks. Today is the day for you to make things right with Jesus. So come. Make your way up here. The person next to you won't mind you slipping by them to do so. Come and allow Jesus to have control of all of you. Come and let him develop in you the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the self-control of Jesus, and yes, the meekness, the gentleness of Jesus. Come as we wait. Jesus, thank you for this sermon that you preached so many years ago. Words that shocked the people in that day and that continues to shock us today because they are so contrary to our natural way of thinking. And yet we know, Lord, deep down inside they are right and they are true. Thank you, Lord, for those who have come forward for their obedience And I pray, Lord, in response to their cry to you, that you would fill them with yourself, with your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, that you would transform them into the image of Jesus, that the character of Jesus himself would begin to be reflected in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for coming, for loving us so much that you made it it way possible for us to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father. for making it possible for us to live a life of adventure and victory and joy with you thank you for making it possible for us to truly enjoy and to inherit the earth we commit ourselves anew to you today and we thank you for your amazing grace would you please stand those of you that have come up don't feel the need to stand unless you want to and ask pastors and prayer partners and stuff just make yourself available to those who have come forward if they would like someone to pray with them and now may the Lord bless you and keep you may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace in the name of God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit I'll be with you.